You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by 90 Min. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon, and this show is dedicated to you guys. This show will be based around all the brilliant questions that you guys have been sending in over the last couple of days via Twitter, via the YouTube community tab. Uh, so many good questions to work our way through. And we were going to do a Q&A the other day, right? We were going to do it on Saturday. And then, of course, the news emerged that Arsenal had um, had a, a friendly going on behind closed doors. And so, of course, we had to kind of postpone this and, and the friendly, the match itself took precedent. And, of course, we covered that match. And, and there's been an amazing number of views on that Arsenal versus Millwall review video. So thank you uh, all so much. Thank you, of course, to those who have uh, listened to it via the podcast platforms as well. Great numbers there too, and really, really appreciating your support. Uh, whichever way it is that you're consuming the content. Let's say a few hellos to people in the chat, to EL, to Ravel, to Junior Gunners, to Josh Hunter, uh, to Matt G, to Sam Rodman, and to the overlord of procrastination. Uh, brilliant stuff. Brilliant to uh, see you all in the chat box and of course to everybody else who'll be watching this back on replay later on or of course listening to it via the audio platforms. Let's uh, let's get straight into it because I want to do the full hour tonight. Um, I know we cut the podcast a little bit short uh, on Friday, I think it was, because of uh, reasons that I've already explained, but you know, I want to give uh, the full hour on this one. So we're going to spend, as I say, the entire time answering your questions. We're going to take the questions that came through via Twitter, via the YouTube post. And then if we've got time at the end, we'll take some of the questions uh, from the live chat box as well. You know what? We will take some questions from the live chat box, even if we have to run over a little bit. Uh, right. Let's uh, let's pick out some of those brilliant questions and get started. And the first one uh, I want to bring up comes from the Guna Talk TV. Now, I'm sure many of you have watched uh, Tom Canton's channel. It's a fantastic channel, uh, which is continuously sort of getting better and better. It's going from strength to strength. And I know a lot of you have been uh, regular viewers of his 8am transfer shows. I've been watching them too with my morning coffee, I've got to say. So first of all, shout out to Tom. Make sure you check out the Guna Talk TV if you haven't done so already. And Tom's question um, is, is a really interesting one. He said, what has been your biggest challenge covering Arsenal this summer? Now, I think there's been a few challenges. I think for me, there was so much kind of discontent around Arsenal at the back end of last season that when the Euros came along, I found it myself in a place where I just wanted to switch off from club football. And I know we did a lot of Euros content during that month or so that the tournament was going on, but we did bring... Arsenal content to the table as well. And I think that one month period was probably the biggest challenge I've faced this summer uh, doing this job. It was finding things to write about, finding things to talk about, finding things to base shows around when actually not a lot was going on. And we knew that a lot of the rumours that were coming out at the time uh, were basically a load of old rubbish, weren't they? Because so many of them were just 
easy stories to write and um and you knew that the euros were going on and actually that the transfer window was probably a bit of a side note and a little bit of a side issue and not at the forefront of everybody's mind i really enjoyed the euros and i found it really difficult to remain i'm not going to say remain interested right because arsenal's in my heart arsenal is is a part of me but i did find it hard to to continuously rummage through arsenal related transfer stories when i knew a lot of them probably weren't that strong in terms of their reliability and actually i'd turned off from club football and my focus was on the euros so i did find it hard to keep that going to keep that interest in in the arsenal world uh sort of at the same level during the euros which i enjoyed so so much and i really enjoyed putting together the euros content and a massive thank you to everybody who tuned in for that because we had way more numbers on those shows than i thought we were going to get as well especially on the audio platform so uh thank you to all the loyal subscribers that's a really interesting question but that was my biggest challenge i would say uh being able to kind of or trying to kind of stay switched on uh, throughout the whole time. Uh, let's uh, take another question. This one comes from uh, Belgian Guna. In fact, uh, what I'm going to do is I am going to uh, share the screen so that you guys can see the question on the screen as well. And I think that'll probably be easier for you. Uh, here we go. This one is from, let me just make that bigger so you can all read it. Uh, do you think we'll sell Willock eventually? And we're just waiting for Newcastle to make a bid. Yeah. Um, the more I look at the Joe Willock situation, the more I think he may well be on his way uh, this summer. Now, I do think that it is the right time to cash in on Joe Willock. I've talked about it on recent shows many a times. I think with Joe Willock, you're at a place now where his value is at its absolute highest, absolute maximum, absolute peak. And if you don't take the opportunity to sell Joe Willock now, what you'll more likely than anything else find yourself with is a player who isn't quite good enough to establish himself as a first-team regular, as a starter, I mean, who is in and out the side, who comes off of the bench from time to time, and as a result, his value will deteriorate quite quickly. So you might find yourself 12 months down the line realising that actually he isn't good enough to be in that number 10 position for Arsenal or one of the uh, two-man midfield pivot, but not be able to recuperate anywhere near as much money as you probably could now. He start, he ended sorry, the season at Newcastle so, so brilliantly. I think he scored seven in seven games. And it doesn't really get much better than that, does it, for somebody like Joe Willock? So for me, I think this is the time uh, to cash in on Joe Willock. Do I think Arsenal would do it? My gut feeling says, yeah. I think if we get anything in the region of around about 20 million pounds, I think the club would cash in on him. And I think that would probably on balance be the right decision. Thank you for your question, uh, Belgian Guna 45. Let's take uh, another one. I'm not going to take every single question because we will be here until tomorrow morning if that's the case. But um, I will try and take as many sort of different ones as possible. Uh, Guns in Yellow Ribbon says, do you think we should sell Aubameyang or do you feel last season was a blip and he will come good again? It was really difficult, wasn't it, to, to make sense of what happened to Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang last season because his form did go off of a cliff. Uh, you know, he still put in a decent return of goals in terms of his output. 
But the issue was that his all-round game was was really lacking, wasn't it, at times? And you could just see that he just wasn't quite fitting in with what the rest of the team were looking to do. Looked a bit like a square peg in a round hole when he was played in that position from the left at times. But then equally, when he played at centre-forward, he didn't really bring enough to the team in terms of his link-up play, in terms of that uh, ability to drop that little bit deeper, get involved and link up with those around him. I do think Aubameyang, throughout his career, has proven himself to be a top, top striker. And so to say that, you know, last season wasn't a blip, I think is actually a little bit hard. I think we know that there were other issues. We know that Aubameyang caught malaria. We know that his mum was really unwell as well, which obviously took its toll on Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang and he wanted to spend some time with her. There was also that issue, wasn't there, with the North London derby where he turned up late. And I think that was a little bit unsettling as well. So I think with Aubameyang, there were a number of issues last season that contributed to his form not being as good as it could have been. Some out of his control, out of his hands. Some were in his control, though. You know, the the COVID thing, which I forgot to mention just there, where he breached the protocols to go and get a tattoo done. That was in well within his hands, of course, the turning up late for the North London derby. So two out of the four kind of incidents or situations, whatever you want to call them, were of Aubameyang's own making. And it's hard to have sympathy with regards to those. But I also recognise that he obviously went through a bit of a difficult time with his own health and that of his mother. So I don't think that Aubameyang has just become a bad striker. I, I, I don't buy into that narrative. Do I wonder if he fits into the team anymore in terms of how we've evolved tactically? I think when we played with that three, um, three-man three defence like we did in the FA Cup uh, semi-final and final in, in Mikel Arteta's first season, I think he suited that a little bit more because we were playing on the break and it was about releasing Aubameyang into those dangerous areas and letting his pace sort of do the job for us. And then, of course, he's... He's an expert marksman and, you know, he was taking those chances and it was serving us really well. But I think as we've evolved tactically under Mikel Arteta, as we've changed system, shifted shape and become a a very different side, in my opinion, to the one we saw at the beginning of his tenure, I'm not sure he fits in anymore. But I wouldn't be looking to sell him. Um, If a a mad amount of money came in, an amount of money that was really tempting, then I would consider it. And I've said that before. I think if the right money's there, then you consider it. But I think that can be said of a lot of Arsenal players. So I know I've gone right around the houses there, uh, but I do think that it was a blip. I do expect him to be uh, closer to his best again uh, this coming season. And fingers crossed he is because Arsenal are a much better team with uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang firing on all cylinders than they are without him. Simple as that. Right, uh, let's go back over to the Twitter questions. Um, What else have we got here? Uh, Here we go. Uh, Ramprasad says that these huge investments in the team show that Arsenal are believing in Arteta. Is there still a possibility of him getting sacked if Arsenal perform bad? Will Arteta remain as Arsenal boss for years as Wenger did? I don't think anybody stays in a job as long as Arsene Wenger did. It's just the way of the world nowadays. So I don't expect Mikel Arteta to be at the club for anything like like 20, 22 years. And also, I think that in Arsene Wenger's case, he was really, really loyal to the club. And probably you could argue that that was one of his faults, one of his downfalls, because that loyalty uh, meant that he was... um, 
he was in a place where he didn't want to leave the club when actually probably for his own personal ambitions, there were probably times where he should have done, where he could have gone on to achieve more at other football clubs. For example, Real Madrid, who were, you know, well publicised in terms of their interest in Arsene Wenger at various points in his career. I don't think that Arteta would be that loyal. I don't think that Arteta is that type of guy. I think Arteta would see the opportunity and he's got massive ambitions himself. And I think he would jump ship further down the line once maybe he felt like he'd taken Arsenal to the point that he could go to. So no, I don't expect him to be there anywhere near as long. And I do think there is a real possibility that if it doesn't go right for Mikel Arteta this season and there isn't a significant improvement, he will be sacked. I think the pressure will just be too much because of how poorly we finished last season when I say finished last season, I don't mean the last part of the season. I mean, where we finished in the league overall, eighth place. It wasn't an improvement on the last season. And and I think that, you know, there will be pressure on Mikel Arteta for sure. Uh, Hakuna Matata says, uh, why are you reading Twitter questions when you're on YouTube, mate? Because as I said uh, earlier on in the stream, mate, we were um, scheduled to do a Q&A show in which we asked for loads of questions to make the show around um, we got all those questions in, but then, of course, we had to postpone that show. So now we're doing it here and we are going to do YouTube questions in a little bit. Don't worry. Uh, there is plenty on YouTube, too, for us to get through. Uh, I want to say a massive thank you to Izzy for your very super, uh, very kind super chat donation. He says, are you a Calberto Chambers FC soldier, Harry? I think I said it yesterday on the review show uh, of the Millwall game. I think that Callum Chambers has really come on leaps and bounds. And while I'd prefer Arsenal to go out and get a top class right back, of course I would. I think that Arsenal may be in a place now where they're looking at Callum Chambers. And there were reports yesterday, weren't there, from Chris Wheatley uh, saying that the, the club and the management and everybody around the squad had been massively impressed by Cedric this summer and the way he's performing in training and how sharp he looks and that he's in contention to start against Brentford as well. So what you've got there, I think, is two right backs competing I think that's all right they're not world-class elite right backs but I think that's quite healthy to have that competition and I do think that if Arsenal are unable to add in every single position that they want to this summer they'll probably look at the right back as one that they could potentially put off maybe until January or until next summer so uh yeah uh, I th I think he's come on a lot uh, but I don't think you can really judge whether he's at the right level until we've seen him over a longer period of time because he came in at the towards the back end of last season, uh, had a decent run of games, but Arsenal were much better as a team during that period. So let's see how he gets on over the course of an entire season. Uh, right, let's go back. To, uh, we'll pick out one or two more uh, Twitter questions. Um, let's see what else we've got. Uh, John, not uh, on the subject of uh, Sambi Lakonga. He says, do you reckon Sambi is coming in as a starter or squad cover? Well, I think he's coming in with a view to being squad cover. I think he's coming in with a view to him being a deputy. I think he is coming in with a view to him developing and eventually going on to be a starter. But I do believe Arsenal are in the market for another central midfield player. And so I have to go with the squad thing. I, I do think, though, and I've said this before, that Lekonga is in that kind of Matteo Guendouzi spot where he is coming in as a squad player. But if he plays well and if he shows himself to be at the level required, Mikel Arteta will pick him and he will play him. And he 
And I think that he has a very good chance of playing a lot more than many of us probably expected when we first heard about the Lokonga links. Uh, I'm going to take one more from Twitter and then we'll switch over uh, to YouTube. Um, this is a good one from uh, Tony Harrison. Have you heard anything about rescheduled preseason games? So we know that obviously the Millwall, um, the Millwall game was was played on Saturday and I broke to you guys the score and the scorers prior to the club making it public knowledge. I know uh, from a source that there is another game scheduled for this week. I believe it is on Wednesday and I think I know who the opponent is, but I'm going to hold fire on that because I expect to have it confirmed uh, tomorrow uh, and when I do have it confirmed, I will uh, put that out. That's tomorrow being Monday, if you're listening via the audio. So I will get that out on Twitter. So stay tuned to my Twitter feed at Harry Simu. But Arsenal uh, do have another game lined up and it's due to take place in the middle of next week. Right. Uh, let's flick over to some of those YouTube comments that you guys uh, shared with us just the other day. And then what we will do is we'll pick up some of the live ones as well. Um, don't forget, if you haven't done so already, please do hit the like button because uh, it really, really does help the channel. Uh, let's have a quick look here on where we are. I can see there's over 200 of you uh, watching uh, right now. And where are we in terms of likes? Let's have a quick look. While I do that, just a quick reminder that this podcast is brought to you by the brilliant guys over at manscaped.com. So for all your male grooming needs, Please head over there, check it out um, and uh, get involved. You can buy some really fantastic products. You can get that bush in order uh, ahead of the rest of the summer and uh, you can do it while saving 20% on your final order. All you need to do is head over to manscaped.com, enter our discount code, which is 19min20 to get 20% off as well as free shipping on your order. Uh, right, let's uh, let's go back over uh, to some of those questions. Let's pick out a few uh, from the initial YouTube post and then we'll take some out uh, from the live chat as well. Let's take this one uh, from Matt G who says, we've spoken a lot about fans' expectations, but what do you think are the Cronkies' expectations next season? I would imagine that the Cronkies' expectations are for Arsenal to compete for a top four place. Compete. That's the key word. I don't think that Ars the Cronkies expect Arsenal to finish in the top four. Now, a lot of people will say that's wrong and that the ambition is not right at the club. And I'm not even saying that they're, they're wrong in maybe thinking that. But what I'm saying is I believe that they do see this as a long-term project. I believe that they do believe in Mikel Arteta. I think you're going to see that over the remainder of this window, the backing that he's getting at a time where the club financially are not in a great place, I think is a, a telltale sign of how much they believe in Mikel Arteta and what he's doing. Now, that decision to believe in him and to, you know, to give him that money and to back him, it might prove to be the wrong decision in time. But I do think that's where they're at right now. So I think if Arsenal finished in the top six, I think, and, and were close to the top four, um, at least competitive and in the run for a Champions League place, I think they'd they'd put up with that, and I think they'd. I think that's probably their expectation at this moment in time. It might not be in line with uh, some of the fans' expectations, but it is. Um, 
it is probably going to be their expectations. Uh, let's take this one from El Yahoo says, Harry, I'm a big complainer. I'm the guy that always says we're shit and that as Arsenal, we deserve better. But then I hear we're rebuilding. To me, rebuilding started in 06. So we've been rebuilding for 15 years. How long are we still going to rebuild for? I enjoy seeing us win titles, but I have to admit, I like to win the FA Cup. But afterwards, I know it's not what I want, especially as an international fan who didn't grow up with the FA Cup final build-up. I want the Premier League and the Champions League, Harry. Will that come in our lifetime? I think it's important to note that football works in cycles. So you will get teams who go through phases where they have glorious years and Arsenal had some glorious years. I think football has changed a lot since the 2004 campaign. 2003, 2004, when we went the season unbeaten. At the time, Manchester United were obviously huge competitors of ours and Chelsea had just come onto the scene with their millions, hadn't they? And at that point, it was about basically getting the upper hand on a couple of other sides in the division. I think football has changed, and this is not me making an excuse. People will take it that way, I'm sure, because that's the kind of reaction I've, I've come to expect now when I say something like this. But you look at the Premier League now and you look at Manchester City and you look at Chelsea, who are clubs that have no right, and I don't care if this offends Chelsea or City fans, but they're clubs who have no right to be where they are, to be punching where they are. And they're punching there ultimately because they've got sugar daddies financing them. Then you've got Manchester United, who are a world powerhouse, and you've got Liverpool, who are a footballing powerhouse as well. Okay, they haven't spent the same sort of money, and a lot of the money they have spent, it's money they've raised from transfers. They've been shrewd and good in their business, and they've got a good manager who's bridged that gap, but they're a very good side and a very big club. Then you've got the likes of Tottenham, who have come out of nowhere. I mean, when I was growing up, Tottenham were absolutely shit. Tottenham were useless. Tottenham used to come to Highbury and play with like Maurizio Tarico at left back and people like that. They were, is that his name? Was his first name Maurizio? I can't even remember. But they, they had so many poor players. They had Ian Walker in goal, whose curtains, his hairstyle was better than his goalkeeping ability. It's, you know, it's, they were a bit of a laughing stock when I was growing up. I never went into a North London derby when I was a kid ever worried about what the outcome was going to be. Do you remember when they had Jerry Francis as a manager, like clowns like that? That's what I'm talking about. And over a long period of time where they were finishing kind of sixth and then fifth and then sixth and then fifth, they got themselves back into the Champions League eventually and they've pushed on as a football club, built a new stadium. Then you look at clubs like Leicester City, another club who people seem to have this illusion of Leicester that they don't spend money. They absolutely do spend money. Yes, a lot of it comes from player sales, but they spent big bucks to get to where they are and they're now competitive. And then you've got Everton who go and spend absolute fortunes every summer. And I know they haven't hit the heights they'd have hoped, but the point I'm trying to make here is that the Premier League is a lot more difficult now than it was back then. We now are in a place where we have any one of eight clubs probably who are capable of competing for a Champions League spot. Eight clubs. And yeah, a lot of them won't actually get over the line. And you can probably divide that into four and four in terms of the two levels. But those clubs' aspirations at the start of the season, the Tottenham's, the Leicester's, the Everton's, their aspiration nowadays at the start of a season would be to challenge for the Champions League. So what you've got is a very different landscape. And 
Arsenal have no divine right to go on and win every single trophy in the Premier League and the Champions League year in, year out. And it's why when people say, oh, you know, I'm not happy with it. I'm not happy with it either. I'd rather Arsenal were winning those things. Of course I would be. But I also understand that, as I say, the landscape's changed and we have fallen away and and now we need to rebuild. I don't believe the rebuild did start in 2006. You know, people say that all the time, but I don't think the rebuild did start in 2006. I think the rebuild for me started when Arsene Wenger left. That was when the rebuild left because Arsene Wenger couldn't rebuild. Arsene Wenger had his ways. Arsene Wenger had his philosophies. Arsene Wenger had his favourite players, his favourite style of player. And Arsene Wenger was never going to change his own ways enough for it to be a complete rebuild, right? You want to rebuild something. You don't let the same man rebuild it. You go and get somebody else. And Arsenal obviously didn't do that. And so for me, the rebuild actually begun when Arsene Wenger left the football club. Unfortunately, we appointed the wrong man, in my opinion, in Unai Emery to start that rebuild. And it was very evident uh, after what a season and a half that that rebuild wasn't working out as planned. He was moved on. Mikel Arteta's come in. I think there are question marks and there should be question marks around him at this point until he proves otherwise. But I do have a feeling, I do have a hunch that he'll get it right. And I think now you see Mikel Arteta being able to gut the squad and move on people that he doesn't deem fit enough uh, to play for the club. He doesn't deem part of his plans. And this is where we move forward now. This is the real rebuild is the point I'm trying to get to. I don't think that rebuild started until Wenger left. I've got to be honest. Uh, let me pick out just one more from here and then we'll go um, we'll go on to the live uh, YouTube questions. So start filling up the chat box with those. Put a queue at the beginning of them. If you've already sent one in today during the live stream and I've missed it, pop it in again because the chat's updated so much. I'm not sure I'll be able to find it. Uh, I have to quickly take this one, though, because I want to just read this one out before I lose it. Uh, GK Rienke says, uh, hi, Harry. Would you wax your legs or shave your hair and beard if we sign Madison or Locatelli live? I won't do it if we sign Madison. I won't be that that excited. If we sign Locatelli, then I'll shave something live. Yeah, why not? Why not? But I'll have to leave you in suspense as to what it will be. Uh, let's take this question from Philip Bevan over on YouTube, uh, in the YouTube uh, community tab. Where is it? Uh, here we go. He says, with Ben White supposedly signing this coming week, what further signings positions rather than specific players that the club need to prioritise before the season starts. I know we would love for all the business to be done before the Brentford game, but I just can't see it happening. We simply have too much to do. This season is so important. We need the best start possible. I would say central midfield and goalkeeper are the priorities. Then if we have to wait until deadline day for a right back and, at and an attacking player, then so be it. Um, yeah, Ben White uh, looks like he's going to sign up this week. In terms of positions and priorities, I've talked about this before, but I do think it is it is a really important discussion. So I'll just quickly touch on it. I do think that you're right in that the centre midfield and the goalkeeper position are areas that really need addressing. We're a little bit short in the centre of midfield for me, even with Laconga in through the door and goalkeeper, we at least need to bring in a deputy to Berlino. If Berlino's the number one for next season, so be it. That's fine. I haven't got a major issue with that. In which case, Go out 
and find someone who is capable of coming into the side in his absence and doing a decent enough job because we just simply don't have anybody of that ilk at the club right now. Renarsson is not the man and Okonkwo for me, I spoke about it yesterday after the Millwall game. And again, it's not to dig out the young lad because he is young, he is developing, but my God, um, he, he just doesn't look ready. He just doesn't look ready. Um, and, and that's it. Uh, let's go over to the comments. Let's take this comment from Dublin Guna. I really like this. He says, so, so right, Harry, you have to find the joy in following your club wherever it's at in the cycle. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah. And, and this is something I've really struggled with, with kind of not specific individuals, right. But with the, the fan base in general over the last year or so, I found this thing where people kind of almost want to be toxic and want to be negative and want to be down. And look, I've been through many stages as an Arsenal fan where I've not seen the light at the end of the tunnel. And I've been worried and I've wondered how we're going to get better and how we're going to improve. And then, you know, a few things kind of happen in life where you realise that football is the be all and end all, um, you know, to us while we're watching it. Um, but there's a there's a really good quote that I just want to um, bring up. And I don't know if this was the original person that said it, but it, the one I'm referring to is from Carlo Ancelotti. And I think this is absolutely spot on. And I'll just, you know what, I'll share this with you. Hold on a second. Where is it? Um, let me share this with you guys on the screen. Here it is. Carlo Ancelotti. These are really wise words, in my opinion. Football is the most important of the least important things in the world. And that's exactly what football is. It's the most important of the less important things in the world. And so sometimes I think as fans, we get into this place where we're so doom and gloom about it. We're so upset about it. We're so wound up and frustrated about it that we forget that actually the reason we watch football is to be happy, is to have fun is to enjoy it is to get away maybe from the everyday stresses of life and if you are so kind of angry all the time and frustrated and disappointed and listen after a game I'm as bad as anyone I'm not denying that but I do think if you are always in this place where you're always looking at it from a negative angle you do start to become like that and that does rub off on your character like you know I've I've especially since my son was born, I've come home from games and yeah, I've been upset and I've been pissed off and I've been angry. And it still does take me a few days to get over like a major disappointment. Of course it does. But sometimes I just, I, I just, you, you come home and you see your kids and you, or, or your loved ones or whoever it may be, a friend or whatever. And you just think like, yeah, like let's just put that to the side for a minute. And I've learned to do that as I've got older uh, in a really effective way. And I couldn't do that before. And and now I found that since I have managed to do that, I enjoy Arsenal again more probably, no, not more than I did when we were great, but I'm still able to enjoy Arsenal, even though we're not at the level that we all want us to be. So it's something to just think about, but it's a, it's a spot on quote. Football is the most important of the least important things. And that's how you've got to look at it. And that I think if you can look at it from that lens, I think it gives you the ability to kind of uh, to park the negative stuff and support your team and do it in a really kind of positive way. I think that helps. I, I really do. But each to their own, right? Each to their own. 
Um, what else have we got here? Let's take some more of your uh, questions. Let me, uh, I'm just going to, if I miss some, I do apologize. Because as I say, the chat box uh, keeps updating. Uh, Nyasha says, do you think we need to sign an attacking eight instead of an out and out number 10? I'm assuming our creative midfield target would need to play with Smith Rowe. It's an interesting one, this, because we all kind of, when we when we signed Martin Odegaard last January, everybody looked at it and went, oh, this is a really good signing. But what does it mean for Emil Smith-Rowe? Does it mean that we're going to stunt his development, that we're going to stunt his growth as a player that is not his height? Um, does it mean that we're going to be in a place where he's not getting the minutes that he needs to take his game up to the next level? And I actually don't think that was an issue at all. I, I actually thought that having Martin Odegaard at the club benefited Emil Smith-Rowe because that creative weight was taken off of his shoulders and it was divided between the two of them. And you saw quite often, actually, in certain games that Emil Smith-Rowe would be deployed from either side where he could still impact the game and still make the runs that he does, but maybe start from a different area and have Martin Odegaard still in the side. So I don't think signing a number 10 necessarily means that it has to be in com direct competition with Emil Smith-Rowe. I know he's got the number 10 shirt now, but what I mean is a central attacking midfielder, uh, I think, can have a space in the team and can still have a significant part to play in our season, whoever it may be, without necessarily it meaning that Emil Smith-Rowe is going to be cast aside. I also think that Emil Smith-Rowe's fitness issues um, over his entire career so far are a little bit of a concern to me. And I would be worried if we didn't bring one in to you know, in the event that he was out. Am I saying that it's the number one priority? No, as we said earlier, I think it's more important that we get a central midfielder in a player who starts from a deeper position and a goalkeeper. But after that, I think that would be the next area I'd be looking at for sure. Omar says, uh, in our opening 10 league games, how many do you expect us to win? And how long would you give Arteta to sort himself out? Now, there's this, there's a lot of kind of talk, isn't there, at the moment about, how long Mikel Arteta should be given at the start of next season, given, uh, of course, how, you know, last season ended and it wasn't great. And we all know that. I keep saying how it ended. When I mean how it ended, I mean how we ended up. And that is in eighth place. I don't mean the, the form at the end of the season, because actually that was probably our best part of the campaign. Well, it was our best part of the campaign. But people keep talking about this. You know, how long do we give him? And you look at the first 10 fixtures that Arsenal have in the Premier League. And I think, you know, we've got some really tough games. You know, let's let's have a look now. Let's bring it up on the screen for those of you watching. Don't worry if you're listening via audio. I will uh, read them out to you. But you look and you've got, you start off with the game at Brentford away. It's not an easy game. You've got Chelsea at home. You've got City away, obviously difficult. Then Norwich, Burnley, and then the small matter of the North London derby. Then we take on Brighton, Crystal Palace, who are now managed by Patrick Vieira. Aston Villa come to town. And then we've got an away trip to the King Power Stadium where we take on Leicester City. So what you've got there in the opening load of fixtures is quite a few difficult ones. And I can't now put a points tally on what I expect Arsenal to get during that period because it's really, really difficult. What I do is I like to group fixtures into like twos and threes and I'll give you a points tally from that. So I would say at the start of the season, when Arsenal take on Brentford, Chelsea and Manchester City in our first three games. Realistically, I would take five points from that. 
So Arsenal with two victories out of those three could surpass that. But I want to see Arsenal get five points from that. Then you group the next group of fixtures and you work that out. And if there was a deficit on your total in those three opening games, then for me, you can try and make that up. So that's how I like to do it. I can't look at 10 games and say what I expect Arsenal to do and how long I would give Mikel Arteta. Because if we go and play Chelsea off the park and get done by a uh, a last minute sucker punch, l- late goal, really unlucky, poor refereeing decision. How can I pin that on Mikel Arteta? I can't. If we do the same with Manchester City, who I don't expect us to beat, but if we're competitive at least, then I think that that is, again, progress for Arsenal. So it's really, really hard to answer this question. But as I say, I'll do it in, in small groups of games. And out of the first three, Brentford, Chelsea and Manchester City, I would be looking for five points. And I think that would be a respectable uh, respectable target. Let's take this one from Kville, who says, Harry, are you worried about set pieces again this season? All three preseason games so far, we looked helpless in the air. Yeah, but we didn't look that helpless in the air last season from set pieces in the Premier League. So I'm not sure that this is a, an actual deep line issue in this Arsenal side. I think with set pieces, a lot of the time it's because, you know, when you're poor from set pieces, you know, you can struggle when the team is constantly changing and people don't necessarily know their jobs or don't understand their jobs. I think when you've got a settled back four, you'll defend set pieces better. I think that we have improved defensively overall under Mikel Arteta. And yes, it's been a little bit of a concern in pre-season, but it's not enough of a concern for me personally just yet to say that it's um, it's a big problem. Uh, Patrick Colson says, wasn't Emery just a stopgap going back to the Spaniards time at the club. Didn't the board want Arteta to take the job after Wenger? They did. They held talks with Mikel Arteta at that point, but it never worked out. And hence why Unai Emery came in on a two-year contract, by the way, who, you know, most clubs, when they sign a manager on a two-year contract, I think you can tell that, um, you know, it's 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 a bit of a stopgap. No manager is going to sign for one year, but you don't want to commit to three either. So you give them two, meet in the middle, everybody's happy. But I think that was quite a clear indication right at the beginning of Emery's tenure as to what the club uh, thought about his appointment. Uh, let's take this one from Josh Hunter. Do you think Tammy Abraham will outscore Oba next season? And if so, should we 100% sell him? Well, Tammy Abraham's got to leave Chelsea if he's going to outscore Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang because he's not going to play. And this is the big thing with a player like that. You know, I I do have some sympathy for him because I think he's a young and, and quite exciting striker. I think he's got a lot to offer, a lot to give. I think he's got a lot of really good attributes. But it, he has to leave Chelsea to play football. It's as simple as that. If it's going to be Arsenal, I don't know. You know, where's it going to be? Let's see. But I don't, I, I don't think there is a world where... Well, no, I'm not going to say that because that's a little bit over the top. But... I think that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is still a better striker than Tammy Abraham. And so I can't say that I think he'll play, uh, that he'll score, um, that he'll score more than him. Uh, Said Abdullah says, Harry, do you think our fan base became more and more toxic year after year? And what do you think the reasons are behind that? Um, I don't know if it's become more toxic or if we just see it more because of social media. You've got to remember when I was growing up, there wasn't any social media. So for me, I didn't really maybe know everybody's opinions to be able to say, are oh, they toxic or they're not. I think what we've seen, though, and I've said this before, and again, people might get pissed off by it. I don't give a shit. I think we're in a place now where people who do have those extreme views 
on the Arsenal. And it's fine, it's their opinion. But I think what they what they do is they now have a platform that maybe they didn't have in the past to express that in such a way. I think there is a bit of a culture developing now where or I like to think that it's actually going to calm down again. But there has been a culture maybe over the last four or five years where it's been the more outraged and loud and obscene I can be in what I'm saying, the more clicks I'm going to get, the more of a following I'm going to get. And people have seen that model be successful with certain podcasts and YouTube channels. And a lot of people have jumped onto that bandwagon rather than, in my opinion, always staying true to what they actually think. I think you get overinflated opinions and overemphasized points to try and get that reaction. And look, if it works for those people, it seems to work as a bit of a business model, fair play. For me, I don't like it. I don't do it because I don't think it would be me being true to myself. But I tell you what, I I probably can say this quite confidently. I do think that if I was a bit more like that, whether you agreed with me or not, I think I'd have more subscribers. I think I'd have more people listening to the podcast than they do currently, largely to take the piss out of me. But I still think that it, it works in that sense. So if you're not bothered by it, if you've got the thick skin and you can take it and it works for you, fair play, but it's just not for me. And I think the fact that people have got that platform now is is why it probably seems a lot more toxic uh, than it ever has been. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Um, just a, a really good point here from Ian Brown on Aubameyang. I think this is uh, a really good point. Uh, he says, uh, whoever said Aubameyang doesn't link play, etc. We all know that's not his strength. But to be fair, he's had two fantastic seasons prior to not to a not so good last season. 25 plus goals, two seasons running. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Nobody talks about it. Nobody talks about his inability to link up play or some of the other maybe slightly weaker aspects in his game when he's delivering goals. And, and that's just the way it is. Isn't it? It's the life of a striker. But it's a point well made from Ian there in the chat. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Uh, Adejuwon says, uh, what other strikers or midfielder would you sign for Arsenal? Realistically, not more than one each, please. Oh, this is tough. Um, midfielders, obviously I like Locatelli, but I don't think that's going to happen. I like Ruben Neves. I'm not sure if that's going to happen anymore. That's kind of quieting down a little bit. Um, This is, I'm going to come back to you on these ones because I, in terms of names, I, I kind of, I'm, I'm in the process of putting some videos together that are pre-records, but I'm doing them properly, like trying to edit them properly and stuff like uh, trying to take the content up to the next level. And we've, I'm working on some of those already. So actually I'm not going to give away who I would pick, um, but I've done a few, uh, five players to replace the right back, five players to replace uh, Bellerin, for example, five players to replace Lacazette, et cetera, et cetera. So those videos are going to be dropping this week. So I'll share those with you then. Uh, let's go back over to the chat. Um, a lot of you kind of interested in the whole fan base thing. It's a really interesting topic, isn't it? Sia says, what about in comparison to other fan bases, are Arsenal fans more toxic? I'm always scared to get drawn into this argument and this debate because I don't follow other fan bases enough to know what they're like. I don't know. I don't follow enough Manchester United fans on social media, for example, or enough Chelsea fans or enough Spurs fans to know whether they or to make a judgment on whether they're overreacting to certain situations. So it's hard to say, but it's a really interesting question and one I'd love to know the answer to. Uh, 
Uh, let's take this one from Reggie Perry, who says it seems that Arteta has a system in mind that he thinks will win games. Do you think that this system is a bad enough match for Oba that we should let him go? No, I don't think we should let him go unless there's really good money on the table. I've said that before. I think I'd still rather have Oba taking or I'd still rather have our one if we only get one massive chance of a game fall into a Bamiyang, a one-on-one with a goalkeeper, for example, than anybody else in that team. So, no, I don't think we should let him go. I've always said I'd consider it, but that is on the premise that we get the kind of money that means we can go and replace him with someone who is maybe not like for like, because I don't think you get a player of a Bamiyang's quality, a striker anyway, of a Bamiyang's quality for you know, for, for cheap. But I think you need to be able to bring in someone with that money that you think is going to, if not improve the team, at least keep the team at the same level. And look, if he has another bad season or or another poor start to the campaign, I think maybe we'll be looking at this through a different lens. But right now, I, I don't think that he should let Aubameyang go. I don't think he fits the system quite right. As I said a little bit earlier on, Reggie, I think that the evolution of the team means that he's kind of like that it's kind of like a glove with an extra finger and it just, it just doesn't work. Uh, but I don't think that he should be 100% moved on because uh, of that. I think we've got to, well, part of the manager's responsibility is, is to get the best out of one of his best players. And, you know, that's part of the job. We can all talk about systems, philosophies, new ideas, transfers coming in, transfers going out. But I do think that part of a manager's responsibility is to get the best out of what he's got at his disposal. And I don't think Mikel as much as I support him, always did that last season. I think that's why he, um, he, um, you know, he's, he's, he's criticised by a lot of people and, and in, in many ways it's it's fair. Uh, Top Tecker says, uh, Harry, are you unhappy with the new setup above Arteta after the mess of Raul? I think it's really tough to judge how effective that setup is at this point in time. I think We've talked about the fact that the club have been able to tie down uh, a lot of key players. Uh, they've been able to secure the futures of, of some really important assets moving forward. And I think that is a positive for which they deserve much praise and much credit. Um, and, and I guess, you know, over the next sort of 12 months or so, when we can make a judgment on the recruitment that we're currently doing, um, then I think you can look at it and you can say, yeah, have they done a good job? Have they not? And on that basis, I'll probably make my decision as to whether I'm happy with them. I'd probably like another football man, um, sort of aside from Arteta and Edu, in a kind of elevated position at the club to help make those big calls because Arteta is obviously quite inexperienced. Edu is experienced, but not necessarily in the European game. Did some work for the Brazilian national team as well, which was a little bit of a different role. So, yeah, I'd like to, in an ideal world, see uh, someone else, but... You know, it's it, time will tell if it's working or not, won't it? Uh, let's take this one from Sanjeev. Uh, how do you think Marlon will do for Borussia Dortmund? Yes, Daniel Marlon, who was, of course, at Arsenal and uh, left for Dutch football, is transferring from uh, PSV Eindhoven to join Borussia Dortmund. Arsenal set to receive around about €300,000 uh, as part of a sell-on clause in that deal when they uh, moved the player on, which is obviously positive, boosts the transfer kitty a little bit can pay Williams wages for three weeks <laughs> but no I, I I've got to be honest I, I saw some glimpses of Danielle Marlin in the Euros when he was given the opportunity to play for the Netherlands but 
I didn't watch a great deal of him at PSG, PSV. I'd seen quite a few highlights and he looks like a really talented young man. Um, I think Dortmund are really good normally at picking out players at that kind of point in their career and developing them and then going on and selling them for major, major money. But this is a little bit different because, yes, it's one that I believe they can, he's a player I believe they can bring in. And I think he's someone that can, of course, go on to a higher level and then be sold for a bigger amount of money. But they are paying a, a fair chunk of money for him, uh, Borussia Dortmund. So, I think they think he's someone who comes in now and is a bit of a Jaden Sancho replacement as opposed to someone that they're looking to develop. He's a little bit of a diamond in the rough and they're going to move on uh, later on for big, big money. I don't think that Borussia Dortmund, given the way they've operated in years gone by, spend that kind of money on Daniel Marlin if they didn't just land a massive transfer fee uh, for Jaden Sancho. So I think that's important to note as well. Let's see uh, what else we've got. Whoops. Uh, well, it's not my bloody laptop over there. Uh, Dipak Patel says, if Arteta does go by January, who would you want realistically to replace him that is available now? Oh, uh, in an ideal world, I'd love Antonio Conte to come in. Now, he's my, for me, he's the best manager in Europe at the moment. But I don't know if that's realistic, you know, and uh, we poked fun at Tottenham and I, I obviously think Arsenal have a bigger pull than than Tottenham but we poked fun at them didn't we and we laughed at them and we joked about them obviously kind of trying to get Antonio Conte going quite big on it and then it all falling apart but at the same time um at the same time you know I don't think we're in a place to attract managers like that because of where we are because of the size of the job because of the fact that there is this expectation at Arsenal that just feels so unrealistic, you know, or the expectation from a lot of the fans is unrealistic. And as a result of that, the club are always under pressure and managers like Antonio Conte, the top, top managers right now, the elite ones, they don't do, they don't take projects on like that. They take projects on the way they know they can succeed so they can keep their stock at an all time high. Then you go to the next category of manager where you've got people like Carlo Ancelotti, like Rafa Benitez, who have been there, done it, very good managers, very accomplished managers, and are now, for me, chasing paydays. I mean, I, Ancelotti going to Everton was strange in the first place. He's now gone back to Real Madrid. Obviously, that option came up, and who wouldn't want to real, uh, manage Real Madrid? But you look at those managers, and they just feel like mercenaries at the moment. So you've got to just make a decision on what it is you want to do. Like, I know with Arteta, it feels like we're planning for the long term, but how long term can you go at a club the size of Arsenal without results mattering? They do matter all the time. There's no getting away from that. I, I honestly don't know, Dipak, who I would take. I think it would depend at the time. I think I, I wanted Carlo Ancelotti before he joined Everton. I don't think that went really well, but I do think that Ancelotti would have got more out of that Arsenal squad than Arteta did purely based on his superior experience. The fact that obviously right now, today, 25th of July, 2021, Carlo Ancelotti is still a better manager than Mikel Arteta. Maybe he's not a better coach. Maybe he's not someone that's going to shape a long-term project for you, but he's a better football manager at this point. Uh, Syed says, Harry, we've seen Arteta mention the importance of the fans returning to the stadium. Do you think that will make a difference in the team's results compared to last season? 
I do think there are times in football matches where your crowd can lift you and get you through difficult periods. I also take the counterpoint to that where a lot of those Arsenal performances, particularly at the Emirates Stadium last season, wouldn't have been tolerated by those in attendance. There would have been boos, there'd have been moans and groans and all of that stuff. And, and I think Mikel Arteta would have been under a lot more pressure had there been a full Emirates Stadium sort of leaning over him from the sidelines, uh, watching some really, let's, let's be frank, dull performances. But I do think that the team will be helped um, in certain moments by having the crowd there. I think every team benefits from that. I think that the fact that we've all been away for so long, at least at the beginning, should lead to a more positive atmosphere, in my opinion. Because I, I don't know about you guys. I I got to go to a couple of games in lockdown as a journalist, and I got to go to one Arsenal game as a fan. And the, as a fan, I was at the... Was it Rapid Vienna in the Europa League game? And I was so like emotional and grateful just to be there after everything that had gone on that I I, I weren't, I weren't going to get pissed off. I weren't going to get angry. I weren't going to get upset because I was just delighted to be there that I would just give it my all as a fan. So yeah, I think there will be a benefit from having the fans back more than a negative. And I think especially at the beginning where people just delight to be back, I think Arsenal will, will benefit from that atmosphere. Um, Rajendra Shah says, Harry, I can see your agenda and say what you want to be negative about Arsenal as you can't address my question. Um, I, I don't really get that. You've asked the question further down the line. The more negative you are, the more viewers you get. Um, no, I'm not saying in every case. I think there are a lot of platforms, though, that are built around football, not just around the Arsenal space where negativity sells, outrage sells, people moaning, complaining, shouting, swearing, effing and blinding works. It does work because of the way society is today. People seem to gravitate towards that. So I do think that in some cases, if you are overly negative, you would get more views and listens largely from people taking the piss out of you than you would from being overly positive. Um, so that, that, that's kind of my point. And listen, for those people who do that, it's up to them. Get on with it. Crack on with it. If that's what you want to do and it works for you and you know, you're benefiting out of it, keep doing it. Like who am I to tell you to stop? But I do feel that there is an appetite, more of an appetite for that kind of content. than there is other content that isn't maybe as extreme. So yeah, I, I, I do think that I do think that. Uh, is this your question that you wanted to, to put to me? Let me just take this one. He says, uh, Rajandra says, we can only register 17 non-homegrowns. So now that the replacements are now restricted to improve the team. So which players would you now want? Or are you ignoring this problem? I'm not ignoring the problem. And I think Arsenal's recruitment strategy this summer has been geared around uh, dealing with this issue. You know, it's not being ignored at all. The fact that Ben White's coming in, for £50 million, I think you could have gone and got a centre-back who is currently at the same or even a higher level than Ben White for half the price, if you looked on the continent. We're being heavily linked with Aaron Ramsdale, a goalkeeper who, again, I think if Arsenal do sign, they'd be paying at least three times what he's actually worth. So, no, I think that Arsenal are recruiting in a way where home where they aren't 
looking for more homegrown talent. And I think, yes, it's great to have players that know the league, understand the culture of the game here in the UK and all of that. But I also think that the homegrown issue is a large reason why Arsenal are uh, recruiting in the way that they're recruiting as well. I think they are seeing that as a bit of an issue. So, yeah, um, I'm not ignoring it. I, I think it is an issue, but I think Arsenal have shown uh, with regards to the players that we're obviously looking at and we're being linked with that they notice it as a problem as well. And they're, they're hoping to, to address it. Uh, let's um, take a, another one from Dipak who says, uh, who will play in our midfield during the African Cup of Nations? Of course, that tournament is due to take place during the course of the new season. Uh, who would you like to put there f- from the current players? Well, Partey's going to go. Um, El Neni will probably go. And then you're left with Lokonga. I think he's a Belgian. Yeah, he's a Belgian international. And then this is where we have to sign. You know, I keep saying it. We have to sign. We have to bring somebody else in. Um, You know, th- there's no getting away from that. We, we we have to bring in a midfielder anyway. And I just think whoever that is will probably have to play alongside uh, Sammy Lokonga uh, when the others go. Um. Here's one, an interesting one. Where is it? Here it is. Jovan. True thoughts on Saka. I'm not convinced because of his lack of cutting edge, which all top players need. Personally, I don't think he's better than Pepe on the right either. Oh, this is a controversial one, Jovan. Look, I'm a massive, massive Bukayo Saka fan. Massive fan. I think he's a great lad, a great footballer, a great character. And I think he will go on to be a future star. He's already a star. He's a star boy. But I do think there are areas in his game in which he needs to improve. But that's not strange. He's 19 years old. That's not out of the ordinary for a player to be at that age and still have areas in which he can develop. My thing with with Bukayo Saka is I do think that he does at times maybe not deliver in terms of the final ball, the final finish, I think he missed a lot of chances last season that obviously contributed brilliantly, but I did think he missed uh, a few too many chances. I can think of a couple of games where had he put the ball in the back of the net, they might've been done and dusted and get the results might've been different. You know, that game at Wolves away when, when David Luiz was sent off last season, if you cast your mind back to that, Bukayo Saka had a glorious opportunity in the first few minutes. And and the way Arsenal had played for the remainder of that first half, they might have gone and put the game to bed before the referee had a chance to do what the referee did. Um, but I don't think you can fault Bukayo Saka because of how versatile he's been, because of how mature he's been. I would like to see him finish a little bit better. I would like to see him sometimes pick out uh, the better pass when he does get into those wide areas. I do think that Nicola Pepe... Um, is going to give him a real run for his money this season. I actually think Nicola Pepe's game has gone up to a new level since Saka um, sort of dislodged him from the team and managed to hold on to that position for so long. I think that gave Nicola Pepe a kick up the arse. And it's great to have both of them at the club uh, at the end of the day. But I, I do think there are areas in which he needs to improve. And I do think that if he wasn't one of our own, as they say, maybe those are, those areas would be scrutinised a little bit more. But I'm, I think he's fantastic. I, I think he's definitely got a massive future ahead of him. I'm delighted he's at the club. I'm delighted he's signed 
a long-term contract. I'm delighted that he's going to be part of the Arsenal family for many, many years to come. So not really got any negatives about Bukayo Saka, but there are areas of development, you know, but there is, you can say that for, for every player, let alone a 19-year-old. So I wouldn't be worried about it if I were you and I wouldn't read into it too much, but I do to a degree get what you're saying, I must say. Oops, need to my eye out. Right, let's just quickly check in where we are on the likes right now. And then um, I'm going to say my goodbyes. We've got 117 likes on the board, but there's 350 of you watching right now. Let's get that up to 150 likes. Come on, surely that is doable by the time the outro plays. I want to say a massive thank you to everybody who's tuned in whether it be live, whether it be watching this back on replay, whether you are listening via the audio platforms, you're all equally appreciated. Uh, so I want to say a big thanks to all of you. We'll be doing this Q&A show once a week uh, in the new season, which will be brilliant because we can collate all the great questions, pick out the best ones and basically build an entire show around it. And it gets it's easy for me. Like, means I don't have to sit there looking for stuff to talk about, which is great. Uh, so it's brilliant to... Um, to have your questions. Great to hear from you, see what you guys have in mind. And we're also going to be bringing back the fans phone-in show as well, which will give you guys the opportunity to jump on here and talk to me live on the program about anything you want to discuss. Uh, so lots and lots to come in the new season. We're going to be doing a little bit of work around the women's team as well. Uh, we're going to be bringing you more shows. There's going to be more members content because I know we could do with upping that a little bit and bringing more of that uh, to those of you to kind of show our appreciation for the support. And what I'm thinking initially is a player ratings uh, episode, literally 15 minutes after game's end. Um, all right, maybe half an hour if I'm at the game, give me a chance to get away. But we'll be doing those, uh, I think, unless there's anything else that you guys would prefer, let me know, DM me, whatever. Uh, but that's the kind of initial idea. I had player ratings straight after a game for the members. And then obviously we'll do the reaction show a little bit later on. So, yeah, uh, lots in the pipeline, lots to come. Uh, thank you for your continued support. Uh, it is very much appreciated. And uh, go off and enjoy what's left of your Sunday evening. I'll catch you all very, very soon with more Arsenal content. Until then, ciao. listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.